Thanksgiving. It's uh, it's good. Just one of those one of those things that we have so much in our country. We forget sometimes to just how um, how much we have to be thankful for, and sometimes we just forget those simple words. Thank you. Uh, and I encourage you to use that use that word a lot in your relationships today, this week, the next day. I was saying to Fuzz this morning, or Fuzz is Adam playing the guitar. You know, happy Thanksgiving. And he's like, every day is Thanksgiving, man. Right? Like, ah, okay. You know, he's right. He's right. So. Um, there you go, Fuzz. You made it online. You're in the sermon. All right, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna start um, this morning. Uh, just catching up with uh, last week. Last week we just talked about the, the importance of small stuff in our lives, uh, and we gave you a few things that hopefully you'd remember. One was don't sweat it. And one of the 13 year old girls in our church, we were talking the other day at a we had this session, uh, this meeting we were at, and all of a sudden I was like, we we're talking about some different things, and she's like, Mark, don't sweat the small stuff. All right, I'm like. Darn, I wish I wasn't the one who had to hear that, but I'm glad she remembered it, right? Don't sweat it. And we said, don't waste time worrying about small things in your life that really you shouldn't be worrying about. We spend way too much time worrying about things that, that really don't matter. And at the expense of the second one, which is don't forget it, we ignore things in our life that really do matter. And we talked about that last week, about those, the little wasp and the little crack in the foundation uh, and what happens as a result of ignoring those things. And so uh, I would encourage you, you know, don't sweat it, don't forget it, and above all, don't regret it. Uh, last week we said, too, that decisions we make today will be the things that we look back um, down the road later. If we, if we don't want to regret something later, we got to do something about it today. And so if you don't get it, if you're like, uh, none of that makes sense to me, you're just going to have to listen online because we don't have time to go through it all. But last week we, we basically said that the small stuff in our life is like a battery. It's got a positive and a negative. There's a, the terminals of, uh, of the battery. And last week we dealt with more of the negative side of things. Today I want to talk about the positive side of the small things in our life. So in, it's Thanksgiving in Canada. It's a celebration of harvest, and uh, I, I like gardening, and I realize if, if you're into gardening, you realize that all this beautiful fruit and vegetables and stuff you see didn't just happen like that. It, it took some time. It took days and, and, and maybe longer. Like for the, for the, for the beans that you're going to eat today, that took at least 45 days for those to grow. For beets, it was 65 days. For that pumpkin pie, that was 125 days that go that someone decided they would start a pumpkin for you. Asparagus, three years ago, someone was thinking about you and planted a seed so that you would have asparagus for your Thanksgiving dinner. Apple pie, four years ago, someone was taking a tiny little seed and planting it so that, that at least um, you, you know, you'd have the opportunity to have apples. Your turkey, five months ago, somebody decided that a turkey needed to, be, to, need to happen. But all that stuff started really, really small. All those things started small. Uh, and, and, but today when we celebrate harvest, we kind of look at those things and we're, we're so um, used to seeing just kind of the end result, the final product. We, we don't love this amount of time that things take. It's why the microwave was so, so um, uh, popular when it came out is because it just sped everything up. Let's take out, let's take out time. Um, this idea of things starting small and becoming something greater is throughout all of Scripture. And, and I see as we look at it, last week we saw some different parts on the negative side. But we see Jesus talking about it on, on other um, sides as well. And so Jesus spent a lot of his time telling parables. He'd tell these stories. He'd sit around and talk to people and he'd tell them stories that were about things on earth. But they also had a different meaning. There was something deeper. And if you dug a little bit, you could find it. 
And Matthew, who was uh, an eyewitness of Jesus, he followed Jesus all around. He wrote down a whole bunch of these parables. The ones that he heard Jesus say, he wrote them down so others would have the chance to read them. And I'm grateful for that because we have the chance today to read those same stories. Um, Mark was another person who, uh, he wasn't a direct follower of Jesus. That We, that he, we know that he was in certain um, places where Jesus was, but he wasn't with them all the time. But he was good friends with Peter. And as they would hang out together, um, we believe that Mark was the one who wrote what Peter uh, had, had heard Jesus say. You know, Peter was the fisherman, maybe not the most educated, but he had somebody who would write down the stories for him. And it's interesting how if you read the stories in Matthew and you read them in Mark, you see that they're very similar. They got different takes because they're coming from different perspectives, but similar. And the stories we want to look at today come from both of their, uh, their um, perspectives. So it just, if you, you want to, we're going to look at Matthew. So if you can go to Matthew 13 if you'd like. But it says that Jesus was by a lake. As he's sitting by the lake, all of a sudden crowds of people just started coming. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Because every time Jesus talked, like people wanted to listen. And if it was um, with Jesus around, miracles could happen. And so they would, they'd be engaged. Well, all kinds of people were sitting around, the, around Jesus on the beach. And he realized, you know, uh, they can't all hear me. So he hops in a boat and he pushes his way out into the, into the lake a little ways, realizing that his voice will travel further across water than it would across land. They didn't have microphones and stuff, so it'd be like this, you know, talking, and nobody can hear me, but I'm about to And if you're online, you didn't hear any of that. It's another reason to be here, right? So that, um, they didn't have that. So he found ways to make sure that everybody could hear. And it's powerful this morning because the hope is that everyone here would hear. That's, that's the whole idea behind this. It wasn't that he just told stories for the sake of telling stories. He wanted everyone to hear. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus tells the story. He says, here's another illustration that Jesus used. He says, the kingdom of heaven, so the, the rule of God on this planet, the, the, the way that, you know, Jesus' kingdom on this planet, what it looks like. He says, it's like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds. Oh, no, just stay with the verse for a minute. That's Okay. Um, I just want to make sure they know what's in there. So he says, here's another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. And so as you saw, you know, you saw a little mustard seed there. When was the last time you ever thought about a mustard seed? Like now you're thinking, like, I, I don't know if I ever thought about a mustard seed. How many of you knew that mustard grew on trees? And I, couple of you, yes, the ones who studied Matthew or whatever, or worked at like Heinz, but yeah, mustard trees, they're, they're, they, they're huge, they're these, these massive um, uh, plants that, that come from this tiny, tiny little seed, and as Jesus is telling that story, you just get, the thing is, you just got a picture, like none of you, that really didn't, wouldn't have meant anything to you unless I showed you the picture, but Jesus is saying to the, the, the people there listening, he's like, he's telling them things they can picture in their mind. So as they're sitting there around the thing, they're, they're picturing this thought, and the men are all like, yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, I've seen a seed before. I've seen the mustard seed. Yeah, I've, I've seen the mustard plant. And the women are all kind of looking like, well, we have mustard, but I don't, I don't know. And so Matthew, he does something, and Mark, the same thing. It's really interesting. He says this. So Jesus told another story to help even more people understand it. He says in verse 33, Jesus also used this illustration, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God on the earth, it's like, a, it's like the yeast that a woman used in making bread. And even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And all the women are like, ah, because back in that day, that was much more likely that they were in the kitchen. But I could even say that today, and it would be like some of you thinking, 
I, I buy bread from the grocery store, you know? Like, that doesn't mean anything to me, you know? My, my baking is done by Sobe, right? That's how, that's how it works. Or, or if you did make bread, it's like, throw stuff in a bread maker, come back three hours later, and ta-da, it's there. So this illustration, again, is not like something that necessarily grabs. So I think if Jesus was here right now today, if he was talking, he might use some different illustrations. He might say, hey, to, to those of you who are like working jobs and making money and thinking about your retirement, he says, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like investing $1 every day for 50 years. If you invest $1 every day for 50 years, uh, if it's just a dollar a day, it turns out to $18,250. But over 50 years with compounding interest, you'll have $594,000 if you just put away $1 a day. The kingdom of God starts small, but it grows. And some of you are like, really? That's the best thing I learned today. And you're going to go home and invest a dollar. So you learn something because it, it connects. You know, for maybe for others, you're into sports. And, it would, you know, Jesus would say, hey, you know what? The kingdom of God is like practicing your putting every single day. And you're like, you know, practicing putting. I know guys who did that in their house. They got the carpet and they got the little hole at the end. And they practice their putting. And he might tell the story and say, you know what? On May 26th of the year 2000, there was a guy named Woody Harford. Woody was just, a, you know, he golfed kind of every once in a while on the weekends. And um, he was invited to the Maximum Golf Magazine launch party. And so as he went to the party, uh, he, he knew he was going to there. And so he, uh, he showed up and they had this 100-foot putt set up. That if anybody could make the 100-foot putt, they'd win a million bucks. And so Woody, uh, this is not the actual putt, but that's how far 100 feet is. And so um, Woody sit there and he, he realizes, I, I think I have a chance. And I'll tell you why he thought he had a chance. But first he calls his babysitter at home and says, hey, there's a lineup for this putt. So he's like, you know, I'm going to be home a little late. So, you know, I hope to be able to pay you extra. And that's it. And then hangs up. And then he goes to, to make the putt. And he goes up there, and sure enough, out of all of these, you know, pro golfers and celebrity golfers and whatever else, Woody's the one who actually sinks the putt and wins $1 million for it. <laughs> they interviewed him after, like, what made you think you could make that putt? He's like, last week, I was practicing my 80-foot putts, and I figured it can't be that much different than that. I'm like, who practices 80-foot putts? Bad golfers do. But he's like, he, he's, he's practicing. And Jesus would probably say, it's like that little thing. And some of you are like, Wow, that little, little thing, just like that little practice of, you know, these 80-foot putts turns into a million dollars. Why? Because little things can turn into big things. For those of you who are like, maybe you're not a golfer, you know, you're not into like financial planning, you're just a youth. You know, you're just a youth. So, you know, and for you, we got YouTube, right? So, you know, YouTube, Jesus might say to you, he says, you know, if you, if you take a video of your child biting your other child's finger and him saying, ah, Charlie bit my finger. That's those kids up there. Well, this is them now. You know, if you, if you did that that long ago, just took this little short video clip, put it online, did you realize that 386 million people will watch that and you'll get paid $158,560 as a result? Little things, tiny little things. He says the kingdom of God is like that. It's like little things that become bigger. You didn't know it in the moment, but it has a potential to become bigger. And Jesus wanted his followers then and now to understand something, that small things have the potential to be big things later. And his kingdom, his rule was one of those things. But his hearers there, they didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't realize when, when Jesus said his kingdom was going to grow like that, they're, they're listening and they're thinking, you know, as they're, as they're there, we understand what a kingdom is. We understand rule because they were ruled by Romans and the Romans were, were terrible to them. 
And they're like, we want a new kingdom that's going to get rid of that old kingdom. And what you're talking about, it just doesn't sound anything like that. You tell us, love our neighbor. You tell us, like, when are you going to actually, like, put on your armor and go attack Rome? You're, like, the savior. Because this little group didn't understand, quite understand, that, that what Jesus had in mind for them was way bigger than that. So we have a map here. Uh, and so this little group of followers was sitting by the lake, remember? So here's, here's Jerusalem. And you see this lake, but that's not it. It's this tiny little piece of water right there, half under that star. Here in this tiny little country, at this tiny little lake, sit a number of people gathered around this guy in a boat, and he says this thing, my kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed, but it's going to grow. It's going to affect huge things. What they didn't realize then is that that tiny thing would go on to influence not just that area, but the whole world. See, the the truth is that you're sitting here today as proof that what Jesus said in that moment was true. Do you think about that? You're part of that story. You are part of that kingdom of God reaching out to touch the whole world. And the early church would go on to influence and essentially overthrow Rome, not by military might, but by living out these simple, seemingly backwards commands of Jesus. Love your enemies. How is that going to do anything? Bear one another's burdens. What? Confess your sin to one another. What? No. Like, and we talked about a bunch of these things. And he's like, how is that going to do anything? And yet it was there living out those small things that actually overthrew uh, Rome. When Rome and the plague came through many of, their, many of their conquered cities, what happened is the Romans just left. They left everybody who had the plague to die. Do you know who came in and helped nurse those people? Do you know who came in and was at their bedsides as they were dying? It was the Christians. It was those ones that Nero tried to stamp out. It was the ones who'd been persecuted. They were there just simply loving their enemies. And it was amazing how people's response was like, wow, the military might left me, but these people love me. Who's your Jesus? And as a result of small decisions, they ended up seeing what Jesus had said would happen, that this little kingdom would do big things. The big, it wasn't big things that made the church grow. It wasn't big you know, preaching services. It was small things. I love this quote. It says this, the early church was... In fact, so radical in its love and lifestyle that within a few centuries, millions of people became followers of Jesus. The kingdom of God spread like wildfire, not because Christians had some grand plan or carefully thought out strategy, but because they simply followed Jesus' commands. They simply did the little things. And the people around them found Jesus and this radical love shown by his followers to be irresistible. In our culture, We're so used to focusing on the big things that we miss the most important things. And we talked about that last week on the negative, but it's the same on the positive side. Jen Hatmaker wrote a book. I'm not even sure the title because I didn't read it. But uh, Beth, my wife, is an avid reader. And the other day she sat there and she says, you know, I'm reading this book. and, And she says this one chapter, she says she's saying in here that all the experts right now are saying that within two generations, Christianity will cease to exist. Because of all the knowledge we have, of all the things that are happening through our universities, there's no longer going to be Christianity. And we thought about that. That's two generations. That's my children's children. When they grow up, there will no longer be Christianity on this planet, according to the experts. As we thought about that, I began looking up some of the, some of the stats, and I found this, that, that uh, Barna Research, who, who does incredible amounts of, of polls and, and research, asked a, a number of teens who uh, would be, call themselves Christians this question, and said only one in three teens say that they'll continue to participate in church life once they're living on their own. Only one in three teens say that. That means if you got three kids, two of them 
according to this, aren't going to be serving the Lord, aren't going to stay in church, that teens are leaving church in droves. And do you know what's, the, what's uh, happened is that as you even see this quote, this is a little bit older, that those kids actually meant what they said, and they are leaving the church in droves. And she said, you know, there's some things that, that she thought might be contributing factors. And what they figured is this, that too much of the current youth generation has been raised on big event Christianity. That it's big event Christianity. It's a choir, the fire, and it's the concerts. And it's like, you know, entertaining church services and, and uh, youth camps and youth conferences. All of those things are f- fantastic. And I think every young person should be a part of all of those things. But what they said what happened is that that was only the spiritual life of those kids, that they went from one big event to the next big event, and once the big events ran out, there was nothing left. See, we focus sometimes on these big things. We want those highs with God. We want those big moments. We want those those exciting events. But he says, you know what? The truth is it's in the little things. It's in the little everyday things as we teach our young people that they can have a relationship with Jesus every day. When they're at school, Jesus is in them and with them every day. When they're going through stuff and they've got questions, they can ask those questions and they can live out their faith every day. Um, In our men's group, um, I'm not allowed to share what happens in our men's group, but here we go. So (laughs) I just love, I loved going to our men's group this week. It just felt like, you know, all summer was way too long to be apart from from these guys and some of the new ones we met. And it was interesting as we talked kind of about that, that that was a common theme throughout the group is that over the summer, you know, it felt like, man, we really missed this. And for some, they described men's group for them in the past as being, you know, it was like that, that. That uh, midweek thing that, you know, after Sunday they felt inspired, but by Monday and Tuesday at work and like, oh, you know, work's just really dragging me down. Or, oh, my spouse is just really dragging me down. I won't tell you who said that one. But, uh, you know, they're like, oh, just life is just getting me down. It's like then, then, then Wednesday comes, then Thursday comes. It's like this, this recharge moment. It's like, you know, it's, it's so true. It picks you up again. And yet there was another who said, you know what? He says, I, I've realized he said that I needed even more than that. I like needed a group every day. And since there isn't groups every day, he's like, I, I got up in the morning now. He says, I get up every morning. And he says, before I eat breakfast and feed my body, he says, I just, I open up the Bible and I begin to just spend some time with the Lord and feed my spirit, feed my inner man just every day. Talked to another guy and saying, you know, as we were talking about, he says, you know, I read my Bible in the morning and sometimes I just don't get anything out of it. And he looked at me as if that was surprising, as if that's never happened to me. You know, it's like the pastor gets up, reads all of, you know, the New Testament for his devotions. And, of course, God speaks to him because he talks to us. How does he do this every week? He's like, it must be, like, direct link. I was like, that happens. I'm like, does it happen to you every day? Because then there's a problem. He's like, no, not every day. Like, some days I'm, like, reading. It's like, that's exactly what I needed for today. I'm saying, that's why you do it. That's why you do it every day because it's in that moment, in those days where you just need it, that's like, Man, I know that I know that his word speaks to my life. It's the important things. If you haven't joined a group yet, it's a great reason. Great time to start is today. If you haven't found a, a, a way to do um, and spend some time in the word every day, get on version and find a way just to spend some time every day in his word. I found out that version now tracks you. And they're like, you've read the word 14 days in a row. And it's really exciting until all of a sudden you've been like at 37 and then you open up like, you've read the word one day in a row. And you're like, oh, I forgot. I forgot one. It's, but it's, there's this thing. Never mind. All right. So this, this week, just it's the small things that matter. Um, I hope I can share this. I was at a funeral this week. Um, 
And it was for a pretty great man who did some pretty great things. Uh, as I was at the funeral, I realized the people that were there. You know, I saw Toby Barrett. I saw other, he was, Norm was a member of parliament. I saw other, you know, things that were written from the members of parliament. Some pretty neat things happened. Uh, at Queen's Park this Friday, they flew the flag at half mass in honor of this, of this incredible man. As they talked, you know, about different things, I noticed something that happened at the funeral that I, that I didn't hear. It was when his daughter spoke about their dad, that they didn't talk about great big things that dad had accomplished. They each in turn mentioned the small things and how much the small things meant. I know one of them said, you know, it was the time that he spent with us. That when, I, when we come home or when we find him, it didn't matter what he was doing. He would drop what he was doing to spend time with us. It was the times that he said, I love you to them that mattered so much. When he would say that he was proud of them. When he would walk down the street and tell complete strangers, these are my daughters, aren't they beautiful? Those things would just resonate with each of them. They each shared that they were his favorite. And I believe they each believed it. You know, that the, the things that they said about how he loved his wife, that after 45 years, he still couldn't get enough of her. And, and things like, things like uh, he would wake up every day and say, good morning, beautiful. And things like saying, you know, no matter what happened in his life, his grace and his peace and this never-wavering faith in the Lord just shone through his life. As I sat there, I realized it was those little things that made him great. It made me want to change things in my life, change some of the little things in my life so that someday someone could say that about me. Why? Because so often we get focused on the big things. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's that raise. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's that promotion. Maybe it's a certain amount of money. I don't know what it is. But it's not the big things that matter. We find so often that people achieve these great things and at the end feel emptiness. It is in looking at a life that lived it for small things and realize that the benefits are really there. To have the chance to see it and live our lives as, uh, in relation as, as a result of that. It really is the small things that matter. It was the small things that mattered in the church then. It's the small things that matter in the church today. Mother Teresa said this, not all of us can do great things. But each and every one of us can do small things with great love. Maybe you're not going to be like the lead worshiper. Maybe that's your thing. You think that's a great thing. Maybe he's just called you to do some small things uh, that you feel are small. Like, you know, working with, with some of the kids or whatever, whatever you look at as being small things. But to do small things and do them well. Maybe you're, and maybe that's your thought is that the kids' ministry is the greatest thing. But God has said, put in your heart, I want you to just smile at people in the cafe. I want you to make people feel welcome. And that's just in this building. As you leave from this place, it's those small things that you do in your family each and every day that have the ability to, to, to become big things. To become the legacy of where our kids decide yeah, we're not, one, we're not one of the three. My hope, my big goal would be that three out of three kids at Kingsway say we're going to keep following Jesus because he's real. That's who this group of people is called to be, to make a difference, to be part of what Christ started with his kingdom. Paul was a man who tried to stamp out the church. He's the one who tried to crush this little fledgling group of Jesus followers after their leader had passed away. should be easy, but it wasn't. And then all of a sudden he became a Jesus follower. And as he wrote letters of encouragement to, to these different churches, he wrote one to Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he described life with Jesus and life with Christ in agricultural terms. For those of you who know, he said, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. 
The fruit, what do you mean? The things that should be seen evident in your life are these things called love and joy and peace, patience and kindness. A few short verses later, he writes these words, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Why does he say that? It's really easy to be misled. It shouldn't be, but it is. He says, you can't mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. You know, you would never be fooled. If I came here and said this morning, hey, I got these magic beans for you. I'd like to sell you $100 for three beans. They turn into tulips, you know, turnips, uh, tomatoes, and turkeys. And your whole Thanksgiving dinner, including the flowers, will just happen in one hour. I know, 100 bucks. None of you are going to buy that. Why? Because you know that that just isn't the way things work. But somehow, Paul's saying, listen, don't be misled. We wouldn't believe that. So don't believe that the little seeds of things that you sow in your life uh, are going to grow into something different than what, they, uh, than what you're sowing. Then he says to them, you'll always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. We forget one ingredient sometimes in that. We, we forget that, that there's this thing called time. Uh, we, we think, you know, as we said earlier, you plant the seed, it takes days before something grows, sometimes years, but it grows. That thing grows. And the same thing in our lives. When we plant positive and, and good God's word, sow things in our life, it's growing. We just might not see it yet. Last week when we said just because, you know, you've made some bad decisions and you're, you're playing with some different things, you're like, ah, it hasn't hurt me yet, doesn't mean it won't. Same is that as you're sowing good things and you're putting God's word into your heart, you're like, well, I don't feel anything yet, doesn't mean it's not coming. You just may have not waited long enough yet. And he says this, you will always harvest what you plant. Verse 8, he says, those who live, which is, and the word actually is sow, but he says, those who live or sow or make decisions only to satisfy their own sinful nature, the ones who just live for me, they says they'll harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live, who sow, who make decisions to please the Spirit, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. He's, let's not get tired of making these decisions and sowing to to our spirit, sowing to that that part of us that matters. He says, because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if, if we don't give up. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear today. You've been believing God for something, you just need to keep believing. Keep staying in that place. Some of you have been praying for something, keep praying. Some of you have been putting God's word in your heart, like, oh, I didn't didn't see it happen yet. Keep going, because maybe it's tomorrow. But don't give up. Uh, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so it says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, anytime, anywhere, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the community of faith. You know, spending time, spending time in his word, spending time in groups, spending time in these things that you know are for your good. I don't feel like I have time, but I'm intentionally sowing into my life. You'll be glad you did. The farmers who planted all the stuff you bought for Thanksgiving dinner are glad they planted that stuff weeks ago, years ago. And when they planted it and they looked the next day, there was nothing there. And they could have said, what kind of apple seed is that? I give up. You know, just mow it under. They didn't. And yet we do that too often with the part of us that really matters. And his words is encouraging us not to do that. Don't grow weary. Some of you are reaping fruit in your life. And you're like, you know, you're reaping things and you just don't like it. You're like, you know, I prayed and my girlfriend still dumped me. God, what are you doing to me? You know, you're just, everything's great, and all of a sudden you lose your job. God, why are you doing this to me? It's like all these things that you think, you know, why is all this bad stuff happening in my life? God, why are you doing this? What you don't realize is you're reaping fruit of seeds you've sown. Potentially, it's things that you've sown that now you're reaping fruit of. If you don't like the fruit that you're harvesting now, sow different seeds. But don't expect that those seeds are going to grow tomorrow. But it's saying, I'm going to sow different seeds in my life. Maybe all your relationships have been train wrecks up to this point because of the way you treated people. 
Now's the time to start changing those things. Your wife's not going to forgive you just like that. But as you begin to live out that and plant seeds into that relationship of honor and respect and love and mutual submission and all those things, you know what? Eventually it's going to get to that place where all of a sudden she's like, (sighs) she smiles at you and she gives you that look and you're like, oh, something changed. What happened? Fruit grew. It takes time. The only way it happens, though, is if we sow the seeds. And so I want to finish with this last story. It's actually a story that Jesus told earlier in that same boat, just at the beginning of his time on the water. He said this, and I want you to just read along with me. Not out loud, that'd be awkward. But just on the screen, you can follow along just so you know what's happening. But I want you to picture it. So Jesus says this. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Since other seed fell among thorns, it grew up, and it choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as was planted. As he told these stories and others, then after the last story we had told, he got out of the boat, and he was just with his disciples, and his disciples said, Jesus, okay, you got to tell us something. We know when you tell stories, you mean something other than the story. So what is the deal with the, with the guy planting the seeds? What does it mean? And Jesus said to them, he said, if you don't understand that one, you're not going to understand anything about the kingdom if you don't get that one. And they're like, oh, darn. He said, but I'll explain it to you. And Matthew writes it down so that every other follower of Jesus will have the understanding of what this is. So he says in verse 18, now listen to this explanation of this parable about the farmer planting seeds. Mark writes and says, the sower is sowing the word. That's what he's sowing. And Matthew says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those. It represents people. See, there's four types of people in the story and there's four types of people in the room. My question today is, which one are you? As you listen to these four, ask yourself this question, which one am I? He says, the seed that was sown is those who hear the message. They hear the word about the kingdom. They don't understand it. And that word understand is not like, I don't get it. They, they, they don't consider it and they don't consider how it actually affects their lives. For some of you, you're here, but you're not really here. You, you've been here, you've heard the word that's come out of, you know, God's word being spoken, but you're thinking turkey dinner and how much longer and did I turn off the oven? I'm not sure. I wonder if there's any brownies left because I don't even know if I'm going to make it home. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait, wait, maybe that's me. And this is the first moment that you've dialed in. It says, you know, you have an enemy that's just camping at the door as the word gets sown, as it's being shared, that he's just waiting there to take it out and it bears no fruit. He says, there's that kind of people. He says in, verse, verse, in the next verse 20, he says, the seed on the rocky soil rep- represents those who hear the message and they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. And it says they fall, um, or it says immediately they, uh, oh, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. For some of you this morning, as you heard some things, there was this twinge on the inside. And this represents people who like hear the word and like, yeah, I believe that. I need to join a group. I need to spend time in the Word. This is what I need to do. And you're the group who's got good intentions. I'm going to go do that someday. And he's saying, you know what? What happens is maybe for you, you're like, yeah, I'm going to believe God for something. And then two days from now, all of a sudden, stuff starts going wrong in your life. And you're like, oh, I guess it didn't work. He's saying that's like people. He's saying, you know, there's something that it's being it's being lost. You know, thinking, oh, God must not be there. God must not be true. It must not work for me. The third one says this, the seed that fell among the thorns, verse 22, those who hear God's word. See, all of them have heard God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by worries of this life and the lure of wealth. Worries of this life is simply me trusting me to make my life good. 
And when I realize I can't, I start worrying. He's saying, you know what, that kind of tries to creep in and, and choke out the word in your life. And you know what, this one represents most Christians. And it's the same thing. The lure of wealth is that, oh, money's going money's gonna to be able to take care of all my needs. And you start going after that. Uh, and he says, you know what, this is the group that I think is the most prevalent in North America. It's people that still look like Christians because it doesn't say the plant dies. It looks like it's a follower of Jesus still. It looks like it's got it all together, but there's no fruit. There really is no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, none of the small things actually happening in their life. Inside, they're tormented. Outside, they got it all looking like they got it all together. And the last group is this, verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents people, people who truly hear, those who listen, hear it, and who understand, who consider, they, they hear today and they say, hey, how does my life fit into this? How does that affect my life today? They understand God's word and as a result of that, as they consider that, as they allow that to be planted in their heart, it produces fruit in their life. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It's saying it's, it's this thing that begins to produce. It doesn't guarantee that as you sow God's word, it's going to be 100%. It's going to fix everything. But 30 is better than zero, no? If your marriage could get 30% better it's better than zero, right? If your other relationship's 30% better, it's better than zero. If, if the love, joy, peace, the peace, if you had 30% more peace in your life, it's better than zero. But he says it could be 100. It's the people who say, you know what, I might not see it yet, but I'm going to keep sowing his word into my heart. I might not see the benefit yet, but I'm going to keep going to small groups because I've seen the fruit that it has in other lives. I May not see my circumstances changing yet, but I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm not giving up on him because he's never given up on me. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to stop telling my kids that I love them so that they, and until they believe it, I'm going to keep doing the small things with great love because I believe that there's more than just a small thing in this. It has great potential. I know that small things have the potential to become great things. So my question for you this morning is, which one are you of those four? And what will you do with today? What will you do with the small things in your life? And so my last thought, come on in. It's all good. You're selling popcorn. You're allowed to do anything. My last question is for you that don't, uh, you're not followers of Jesus. Because some of you might be here this morning and, and you came with a friend or maybe your parents made you come here. Uh, maybe it's just reading week. You had nothing else to do. So you just came here. But, but I want to ask you, you know, a question. I believe God's word is calling to you this morning as well. I believe this as you hear this, there's something on the inside. For some of you, it's like, like there's got to be more to this. You know, there's an emptiness on the inside. And it's true. You know, when we live just for us, we live just to please us. We make decisions that just make us feel good. Oftentimes, and most of the time, we, it actually is affecting relationships in our life. But it's affecting the relationship that God has designed for us to have with him. It's like, God, I'm going to just do things my own way, and we'll see how it ends up. We talk to God whenever the problems get too big and say, maybe, you know, if you're out there. But today, as you realize that he loves you, and as you hear these words and realize, wait a second, maybe I've been sowing the wrong kind of seeds in my life all this time. How do I go back? How do I go back and uproot and unplant all that stuff that I've done before? How do I fix all of the, the bad stuff? When Brian talked about the guilt, that's you this morning. As you sit here, you're like, oh, I just feel like terribly guilty. That's not God. He loves you. He paid a dear price on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay so that you wouldn't have to feel guilt and shame anymore, not for a minute longer than you want to. The simple thing is saying that, God, okay, I give you all of that. Help me start sowing something different. I'm going to follow you instead of me from here on in, and he will change your life.
Some things will be immediate. Some things will take time. But I guarantee he will make you into the person you've always been designed to be. The emptiness on the inside goes as he puts his, puts his love onto the, to the inside of you and then gives you the opportunity to keep sowing that in. He invites you this morning to a second chance with him. And I encourage you to take him up on his offer of what life can really be like. That it would be, you know, as one of, the, one of the people that says, you know, as I sowed these things in my life, I saw the goodness of God through it all. Can we pray? Father, I pray this morning for each and every one of us. Thank you for your word that it's alive and powerful. It really is like seeds. It really does bring change in our lives. God, as we think about harvest right now around us, I pray that you help us this week and today and following days to think about the harvest in our life, what's really there, what's really growing there, and help us to, to intentionally sow some things that we want to see in our future, things that we want to see uh, in our lives bigger than that, to see your kingdom grow things that we do for others, <laughs> those things that uh, we do for others here, but for others around us that don't know you yet so that they may come to know how amazing you are. Love you, Father. Help our lives to reflect your glory, your goodness, and your love this week to the world around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.